All right, my name is Joe Deegan, and today we're talking about uh, welcoming youth ministry, how to create a culture and environment in your youth ministry that's welcoming to all. <coughs> For starters, I, I'll tell you a little bit about myself and my story and how I got to where I am. I was born and raised in a small town in Alabama called Tuscumbia. It's part of the Muscle Shoals area. It's about two hours south of here. And went to the University of North Alabama, graduated in 2009, and then moved out to Houston to work at Christ the King Presbyterian. Uh, the youth pastor there was my best friend growing up, a guy named John Trapp, who is the RUF pastor at Texas right now, University of Texas. And John was a year older than me, so he'd been at Christ the King for a year and got me to come out and work with him. And was there for a couple years, <coughs> was loving student ministry, learning, growing a lot, loving the, the church, even loving Houston a little bit, but nothing felt permanent to me. And I remember one day going to John and saying, hey, I, I'm getting homesick. I'm ready to go back to Alabama. Like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. And then a week later, I met my wife. And here I am. I've been in Houston for 10 years now. Almost. <laughs> so uh, my wife is from Houston. Uh, she's, she's amazing. She's home right now with all three of our kids. We have a daughter named Ellie who's almost five. Uh, Sam is three and a half. And Will is almost two. So things are pretty busy for us right now. <coughs> uh, I told the last class. So uh, New Year's of 2012 is the first time I told my wife I loved her. Nine months later, we got married. Nine months later, we got pregnant. Nine months later, we had Ellie. Nine months later, we got pregnant. Nine months later, we had Sam. Nine months later, we got pregnant. Nine months later, we had Will. And then we took a break. Um, <coughs> it was a, we were on this like nine-month uh, cycle. And uh, man, we just like, we couldn't break it. You know? We were just uh, nine months. Big things were happening. But we, uh, we love our community and our church. And um, love being in Houston right now. And uh, our kids are great, but they're really hard, so Leah's home struggling with them. Uh, <coughs> a little bit about my, my time in youth ministry and kind of how I got to where I am now. So I worked with my buddy John for about four years. He was a director, and I was working under him. And then he moved to Austin to finish seminary. So I took over as director for th about three more years. So I was at Christ the King for a total of seven years in youth ministry. And then I, I felt a calling towards music. Wasn't really sure what that would look like, but prayed about it, talked to my wife about it, and um, quit my job and just went for it. And struggled through a lot of the singer-songwriter stuff and leading worship at camps and places. And eventually they had worship at an RYM camp. And then Joey came and talked to me about potentially coming on staff, and so we started having these conversations, and that's how I got to where I am now. And this has just been a dream job for me. I love it here. Um, it's a beautiful combination of two things I'm passionate about, youth ministry and music, and I get to bring those things together. But I also get opportunities to come and teach in situations like this, and I love getting to teach and tell stories. Uh, it's something I'm very, very passionate about, and so I'm excited to get this opportunity right now. Uh, before we dive in, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to have a couple people uh, read some scripture for us. So let's pray. <coughs> God, we, we do thank you for this beautiful day, this 
amazing week. We've sat under some incredible teaching, and when we have uh, been allowed to set our eyes on you and worship you and know you better, and so we ask that we would do the same right now. I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, let my words be your words. Open our hearts to who you are and how much you have loved us. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <coughs> Does someone want to read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. AJ? And then somebody else can turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Who wants to do that? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Any volunteers? Okay, we got Philippians over here. You want to get 2 Corinthians 8, 9? Oh, you got it? I can do it. Okay. All right, AJ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Okay. I'm going to circle back on those scriptures, so maybe like keep a finger in those places or write it down so you can remember it. Um, I'm going to keep you in suspense right now as to what that has to do with what we're talking about. I do want to tell you, so I've got like three main points I want to hit today of how to create a welcoming youth ministry. Michael asked me to teach on this, and I was like, what? I don't, like, I, I really had no idea. Like, I had an idea of what he was talking about, but I didn't know, like, how to dive into it. So these were three things that just, like, really kept coming back to me as I kept thinking and praying through it. And uh, <clears throat> there are multiple other ways that you can create a welcoming youth ministry. These are the three things that that stuck with me that I felt like were important to talk about here. Also, I was an English major in college, and so I'm obsessed with like making outlines like parallel and stuff, and I didn't come anywhere close with this. So just forgive me. I feel bad about it. But anyway, point number one is uh, we don't want our youth group to be cool. We don't want our youth group to be cool. Point number two, we want our students to be themselves. And point number three we want our students to serve. We don't want our youth group to be cool. We want our students to be themselves, and we want our students to serve. Number one, being cool doesn't work. <coughs> now, cool's not a bad word. You know, it might mean different things to different people. Here, here's what I'm saying when I'm describing coolness. I'm saying that that idea that I'm trying to impress people with some sort of superficial or artificial part of myself or what I'm doing. It, it, really more of an outward appearance type thing. I'm trying to impress people with something outward. That's kind of the idea I'm, I'm, I'm driving at when I'm talking about being cool. And I think from a youth ministry perspective, it's very tempting to want to be the cool youth group. To want to be the place where students show up and they're impressed with how cool it is. Now, I will also say this. I think there's a huge difference between being cool and being fun. Being fun is good. Being cool 
trying to impress people, that doesn't work. And I'm going to tell you a story uh, about how I discovered that. So my buddy John, who is the youth director at Christ the King, is quite frankly one of the coolest people I know. He, he's smart, he's valedictorian, he went to Vanderbilt, he's good looking, he's funny, he's popular, he's athletic, he's just like one of those guys who's good at everything he does. <coughs> and John, I mean, John's, John's my brother, he's my best friend, so we've, we've discussed our competitiveness with each other before, so we've, we've had all these conversations. So anyway, I, came, I come to Christ the King, and I see these students adore John. They're crazy about John. And I thought to myself, Man, I want those students to look at me the way they look at John. I want them to think about me the way they think about John. And so my approach was to think that I had to impress them. And so the, the way I went about it was basically saying, like, okay, I, I'm going I'm to kind of keep my, car, my guard up. I'm not really going to let them see any kind of weakness in me. I might, you know... Any story I tell them is going to somehow kind of like subtly point back to how awesome I am. Like that was kind of the, the approach that I took because I, I wanted to impress them so badly. Now I did that for two reasons. One was just purely self-centered because I'm selfish and I'm a sinner and I'm prideful and I want people to think I'm awesome. That, that was a big reason. There was another actual strategic reason in that I thought that in order for me to minister to these students, they have to be impressed with me first. That in order for me to get them to listen to me when I'm teaching or to like, get them to trust me in a one-on-one situation. They have to think I'm cool. They have to be impressed. That was what I genuinely believed going into student ministry. <coughs> Until this one night. One night, we were on a middle school trip. And one of the things we would do at, at our, especially middle school trips, was to get our, those middle school boys to calm down before bedtime and actually get some sleep. John and I would... Say, all right, everybody get in bed. We're going to tell you a story. And we would have story time with the middle school boys. It was great. And this one night, John told the story about a time when he was in college and he was telling his two best friends in college that he had never been in a fight and he, like, really wanted to, like, know what that felt like, but, you know, nobody had ever been angry enough at him to hit him. And so he was like, I just, I, want to, I feel like I want to be in a fight. I want to put that on my life resume, you know? Like, how, like I want to make that happen. How's, how, how do I start a fight with somebody? So anyway, this one night, John's telling the story. He and his two buddies, like, go to some club or bar or something, and there's some guy there who's, like, being mean to a girl, and John steps in to try to be the hero and, like, picks a fight with this guy. And he's telling the middle school boys that, like, like it was about to come to blows, and all of a sudden at the last minute, I backed off, chickened out, left the bar, and got the heck out of there before that guy could follow me. Okay, he told that story to middle school boys, which is kind of like the social equivalent of diving into shark-infested waters and slicing your leg open with a knife. I mean, there was just blood in the water when he told that story, and they just punished him. They're like, oh, John, I can't believe you didn't fight that guy. Oh, man, if I'd have been there, I'd have had your back. Like, yeah, right, okay. But they're just like, <laughs> just like oh, man, like, oh, you, just, you just backed up. How were you? Why didn't you fight him? Why were you so scared? Blah, blah, blah. And John just sat there and smiled and just went, I know. I was too scared. I was too scared to fight him. Couldn't do it. Couldn't go through with it. And they just raked him through the coals. Eventually, it died down, and John said, all right, we're going to get some sleep, turn the lights out. And I laid there in bed and stared at the ceiling and thought, I've been doing ministry the wrong way this whole time. I've been trying to impress these students, 
But what I realized in that moment is every single one of those boys in that room, as much of a front as they were putting on by punishing John, every single one of them went to bed that night thinking, this is a guy who knows me. And this is a guy that I can trust. Because he understands what I go through every day when I walk up and down those halls and I'm scared to death of what people think of me. We don't reach our students by impressing them. They're actually intimidated by coolness. You know that, right? As much as they want to be cool, they're scared to death of coolness. They're intimidated by it. Impressing them doesn't work. (coughs) You know what John was actually doing that night? Here's two I words. Okay, I did kind of make this parallel. There's two I words you can remember. John inhabited their world and he identified with their weaknesses. By telling that story, he inhabited their world and he identified with their weaknesses. You know who else does that? Jesus. Maybe you can see why we read those passages of Scripture. Paul loves to talk about the incarnation because what did Jesus do at the incarnation? The Son of God left his throne inhabited our world and identified with our weaknesses. If we want to talk about like how to create a welcoming youth ministry, let's look to the person who did it better than anyone else. Jesus Christ came into our world to welcome us into His. And how did He do it? He inhabited our world and identified with our weaknesses. What John was doing in that moment was actually giving them a glimpse of the incarnate love of Christ. and That's what we need to show our students. We need to show them the incarnate love of Christ by being in their world, by knowing who they really are, knowing the struggles they go through. That comes through the questions we ask them. That comes through the stories we tell them. That comes through the way we reveal ourselves to them. There is an appropriate level of like not, not going too deep in terms of like, like confessional, but there, 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 is, there is a level of sharing our weaknesses with them so that they can see what it means to struggle in this world. Inhabit their world, identify with their weaknesses. Number two, (coughs) we want our students to be themselves. And what I mean by that is something very different than what the culture means. Can someone read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3? Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they, uh, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Thank you. And that's a beautiful passage. I'm going to hold you in suspense again as to what that has to do with what I'm going to talk about. We'll circle back to it. <coughs> back in November of last year, I, uh, so our, our pastor at our church, Clay Holland, preached a sermon where he quoted some guy from, I guess he wrote from maybe the New York Times or somebody. I don't even know if he was a Christian. But this guy coined a phrase called expressive individualism. 
Expressive individualism was what he said is the God, lowercase g, the God of our culture in 2018, 2019 now. Expressive individualism. Here's what that means. You know what it looks like. Here's what it means. It's basically this concept of saying, you be who you want to be and don't let anybody or anything get in the way of that. Be whoever you want to be. Don't let anybody or anything get in the way of that. That's expressive individualism, and it is the God of our culture. If you've seen any Disney movie in the past 10, 15 years, it's, uh, you will see that it is basically a tribute to that gospel. Uh, my kids love Moana. Moana uh, it has great music, and it's fun, and it's a fun story, and we watch it and stuff. But that movie is literally a tribute to expressive individualism. Okay, you've got this. I don't know if you've seen the movie. There's this, <coughs> this girl named Moana lives in like the Philippine Islands somewhere. <coughs> and she's, uh, she's the daughter of the chief. She lives in this great community on this beautiful island. Her dad wants her to like take up the mantle and lead the people. But she just has this longing inside of her to go beyond the reef, to go out. She wants to be an explorer. She wants to be an adventurer. She doesn't want to be a homebody and a, a leader in that sense. So there's something inside, there's, a, there's a, uh, a confliction in her identity right now. She doesn't know who she wants to be. And she even sings a song and says, I can lead with pride, I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along, but the voice inside sings a different song. What is wrong with me? Okay, so there's that first part that, that make, makes us think that, like, okay, something's not right. There's something gnawing inside of me. Something's not the way it was meant to be, and I don't know how to deal with it. And then comes the grandmother, a.k.a. expressive individualism, this God, okay? The grandmother is like the wise old sage in this, in this story, and she comes to Moana, and she says this, You are your father's daughter, stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, there may be a voice inside. And when that voice starts to whisper, follow the farthest star, Moana, that voice inside is who you are. So that is expressive individualism whispering to us saying, yeah, it's good to listen to your dad. It's good to listen to your community. But most importantly, you listen to that little voice inside of you because that's the voice that's going to tell you who you really are. That's expressive individualism. So imagine this scene. I want you to use your imaginations with me. We're going to personify this God. There's this lowercase g God called expressive individualism. Okay, there's this this, uh, maybe this freshman kid, okay, in your youth group who's struggling with, with loneliness, depression, sadness, uh, identity crisis. They don't know. They're getting pulled in all sorts of different directions. They can't figure out who they're supposed to be. They know, they feel like there's something wrong inside of them. Something is not the way it's meant to be. Something's broken. And they hear a knock on the bedroom door, and in walks expressive individualism, this God, and he comes up to the kid and says, look, I know you think something's wrong with you. I know that you feel like you're broken. I know that the world tells you there's something wrong with you. But I say you're beautiful just the way you are. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Now go be who you are, superstar. And get out of here. That's the gospel of expressive individualism. So when I say we want our students to be themselves, it is not that. <laughs> That is what the world means when they say, be yourself. It is not that. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Same scenario. This kid's sitting on the bed, struggling with their brokenness, their identity. 
Something's not the way it was meant to be. Knock on the door. In walks Jesus. And he says, I know that you feel broken. I know that you feel like there's something wrong with you. I know that you feel like something is not the way it was meant to be. And that's because it is not the way it was meant to be. There is something broken. There is something wrong. But if you believe in me, if you trust me, I will trade you beauty for your ashes. And I will give you the oil of gladness for your weariness. And I will give you a garment of praise for your heavy burden. That's the gospel of Jesus. And that's the gospel that actually frees us up to be ourselves. (laughs) In the truest sense. To be who we were meant to be. Because expressive individualism is basically like, it's basically self-righteousness. It's basically saying, I feel like there's something wrong with me, so I'm just going to do this, 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 and this, and make myself right. Or I'm just going to declare myself to be right, regardless of how I feel. And I'm just going to kind of put up this wall and this barrier. And what it does is it actually isolates us from other people. It actually... I mean, that, that it's, it's in the word, individualism. Like, it, it isolates us. And we grow further and further apart. But the gospel of Jesus actually breaks down those walls and actually heals us from within in the only real way that we can be healed and actually makes us be ourselves. And so what we want, in terms of youth group, what we want... It's for, okay, imagine you, this, this is a youth room, Sunday night, or whenever you do your stuff, you got students over here playing ping pong, playing video games, eating pizza, you got a group of girls over here, like, huddled up together, like, whispering and pointing at guys that they want to flirt with, and there's just, like, all sorts of stuff going on, and in walks this kid in the, in the door. That is an intimidating room to walk into. There's a lot going on. It's an intimidating room. And what we want, what we want most of all is for that student walking through that door to walk in and think to themselves, I don't have to impress anyone. I don't have to be somebody that I'm not. I can actually trust that I am loved, that I'm beautiful in the eyes of God, and I can actually take a deep breath and be myself. That's what I mean when I say we want students to be themselves. And we want to create an environment that fosters that. (coughs) Last point. We want our students to serve. Does somebody want to read John 13, 3 through 5? John 13, 3 through 5. You got it? Christian. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Thank you. Uh, When we talk about service, this is honestly probably the best picture of service that the Bible gives us. It's the Son of God himself making himself low, washing his disciples' feet. It's a, it's a story and an image that we're all, I'm sure, familiar with. 
Think about that image in terms of leadership and service and how important that is within our community, within our youth group. So there was a girl, <coughs> there was a girl in our youth group, uh, her name is Mary, and I got a permission to tell this story. Uh, several years ago, she would come, she wasn't in our youth group, she was a friend of someone in our youth group, and she would come to certain events, things that we did, and one time she went on our mission trip to Belize, this one summer, I can't remember which summer it was. We took our high school group on a mission trip to Belize, and we would, we would go down to this village called Pachacan, and we would spend the morning doing manual labor. We were digging a septic tank and like, helping paint the house and rip out you know, floorboards and stuff, and we were just like hard manual labor, and then we'd have a brief lunch, and then in the afternoon, all the kids in the village would come, and we would put on a VBS for them all afternoon, and then the, the locals uh, would serve us supper, and then we'd go back to the hotel, we'd shower, clean off, come and meet together, and we were just exhausted, and we were tired but we would all go around the room and just kind of share what God was doing, what God had shown us today, um, what He's doing in our own hearts throughout this week of service. And it was just this beautiful time of really growing closer together, sharing uh, what the Lord was doing. We never forced anyone to share. Most people did, but Mary, (coughs) this guest at the time, would keep her head down every single time, and we would just kind of go around the room, and when it got to her, she wouldn't look up, she wouldn't acknowledge anybody, she wouldn't move, she would just stare at the ground, and then we'd just kind of skip over her and go to the next person. Every night she did this, and she was just one of those, you'd look at her and you'd go, man, I want to welcome her into this youth ministry, I want her to be a part of what we're doing so badly, I don't know how to get through to her. We just kind of kept trucking along. On the last night, We're going around telling stories. We get to her, and she lifts her head up, and she says, I just want to say that this has been the best week of my life. I've never had an opportunity like this to serve other people, and God has changed me this week. And that was it. And then the next Sunday when we get back in town, she shows up to church, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. And then she brings her family and they become members. And she becomes the most consistent member of our youth group. And she suddenly gets on our leadership team. We had this leadership team we called Crew, <coughs> which, side note, that was like the best thing we ever did. We had these juniors and seniors who would lead our middle school in small group Bible studies, and it was, it was really cool. Um, best thing we ever did in my time in youth ministry. It wasn't my idea. It was someone else's. But it was awesome. And so she was on this leadership team. She was hungry for scripture, for knowledge. She was reading. She was growing. She was meeting with other girls. You could just see her flourishing. You could see her true personality, her true self just coming out. Uh, She went to college. After her freshman year, I got her to come back and be a summer intern working with the youth group. The next year she came back, she was a children's ministry intern at our church. The next year she came back, she was a children's ministry intern at our church. And um, she brought a friend to work with her. And she graduated, and now she's an RUF intern in San Antonio. And you just, I look back on, like, this trajectory that, that Mary had, and, it, it, and it's just amazing to see where God brought her and where it all started. Because it started in a place of service, of all places. Like, the, mo- the most welcoming thing we could have done for Mary and that youth group was give her an opportunity to serve. And I think that's interesting. 
Because so often we get caught in this trap of, this consumeristic trap of, of thinking that, you know, our students are consumers, so what can we pour into them to get them to, to latch on to? Because we know, like, we have this concept that, or this idea that they're just going to sit there and we're going to open their brains and pour the gospel in and close it and send them on their way. It doesn't work that way. And they don't buy in. And somehow, the most important thing we ever did to actually welcome our students into the youth ministry was give them opportunities to serve. Give them opportunities to work alongside each other. To love someone. I mean, these, are, these are the two things it did for Mary. She said this later on. It get, that trip, for the first time in her life, gave her an opportunity to do something for someone besides herself. And it gave her a real community. Because community is built so well through service. And our youth group grew stronger because of her service. Other people grew close, closer to the Lord because of her service. And that... Man, that's such an important part of ministry. That's such an important piece. And, <coughs> and I think that's something that's easy to overlook sometimes. Is that we can actually welcome our students <laughs> by putting a shovel in their hands. <laughs> like I'm using that metaphorically. But saying like sometimes the most welcoming thing to do is to give them something to do. And to give them an opportunity to take ownership and to be a part of the kingdom. That's what God did with us. <laughs> um, and ultimately what it shows us is that um, we're not just laborers. We are, we are lovers. We are lovers of Christ. And it is through our, our service um, that we actually love Him more and we get to know His love better. Okay. That's, uh, I knew I was going to end a little bit early. I, I, I know that this was more of like a 20,000 foot view of everything, and it's uh, maybe a little more theological, philosophical. I know there wasn't a ton of practical stuff. So what I wanted to do was maybe spend a few minutes before we close and just open up the floor. So I'm going to just kind of throw a few prompt questions. I would love to just hear your thoughts and hear your questions and bounce questions off each other for just for a few minutes so that maybe we can get some practical ideas of what it looks like to build this welcoming youth ministry. Uh, the first one, this is simple. What are some ways we can get our students to serve besides just going on a mission trip? Because those are great, but there's usually like one week out of the year. So think about the whole calendar year. What are some practical ways we can get our students to serve? I mean, we do, <coughs> we've started doing a leadership initiative um, this past semester with our Yeah. That's been incredible. Yeah. Um, and even just like helping, <coughs> getting to help elderly church members mm -hmm. things they can't do themselves anymore. Um, and even just spending time to spend like intergenerationally. Yeah. Man, getting students to break out of the age and stage thing is so helpful sometimes. Yeah, that's great. What else? How did you initiate that? What? How did you initiate like getting them to interact with each other? Or um, getting, getting them to interact with? with we do, um, we do, we have like, yeah. Uh, so we have this, last January, we um, had people, adults in the congregation, sign up to be on this prayer team for a youth 
so we tried to put one of, so three adults of different generations with age students. And so they're like praying for them and like talking to them when they see them in Facebook. Mm. That kind of thing. So That's great. That's great. Awesome. What were you going to say? Um, we did a <coughs> third fair, so the third Sunday of every month, they, we leave our Sunday school area, and each small group um, takes turns serving and volunteering in different areas of the church. So mm-hmm. there's readers, parking lot attendants, they work in the kitchen. Yeah. And yeah. That's great. Well, Mm-hmm. We want, we want, obviously, we want to have our own stuff. They need to stage any stuff a little bit, but also, if we're not separate from the local church, we are. Yeah. Part of the church. Yeah. So, like, I think the service part has really helped us to kind of unify that a little bit. Yeah. awesome um cool next question about something about service let's think more about what i mentioned earlier the incarnate love of christ what are some practical ways that we can as i mentioned inhabit their world and identify with their weaknesses what does that look like You know what? That, I mean, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's like being willing to show them things that you're not good at and being okay with yourself is so valuable for them to see. Like if all you do is show them the things that you're good at, they're going to be intimidated by you. They're going to think they can't live up to you. Like to be able to show them things that you're not good at, man, you should see some of the things that Rob's good at. He speaks Elvish. Uh, <laughs> um, Which but, doesn't impress the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I really uh, just have no chance. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, being willing to show them the things that we're not good at, that, man, that is, I think that is ministry. That is, that is so vital. Yeah, thanks. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Not just in your talk or in your small group, but yeah. um, for them to see that in your life would probably be more important mm-hmm. than just your friends serving yeah. in a different way. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that has been really helpful is getting my students around my kids. And yeah. Yeah. I'm like, when I, like, I need their help to like 
Yeah. And, and they're like, you're not cool. And I'm like, I know, but they don't know that yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they keep me and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been a really good way to help build a relationship. Yeah. And like, also bring, also help my kids understand, like, what I'm doing and why sometimes I'm not around at bedtime. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, this is maybe in reverse, <coughs> but um, I I double book with a student once. Um, yeah, I was supposed to meet with them, but then I promised somebody else I was going to visit them in the hospital. And so I, I said, listen, well, why don't you just come with me? I'm going to do a hospital visit. And we did the hospital visit, and on the way back, that student started telling me about people in their lives that were sick and in the hospital. Mm. And, and it was weird because I kind of let him enter my world as a pastor visiting people, which led him to open up about his world, yep. about the people in his life. So there was like this weird roundabout kind of mm -hmm. way, because I had a meeting with him to do just that, enter into his world, but I'm like, man, I double booked, so come with me, let me do this, and then that totally opened up relationships. Man, that's, and that's brilliant, because, I mean, you see what, what's happening there, you're like, you're doing a lot of things at once. There's service. There's inhabiting their world. There, I mean, there, there's a lot going on. I think that's a, that's a great thing is even think about your one-on-ones with students. Like not, I mean, yeah, sitting across talking to them is important, but maybe like actually getting them to do something with you, something like ministry-wise. Man, that's, that's awesome. That's really good. Um, anything else? Along the lines of just having them Mm. a good bit and like constantly just having to be like just throw that all to the side of the couch like I mean like yeah. we don't make sure that our home is yeah. prim and proper shape right. before we have you come over and being able to allow them to see that we don't have it all together mm -hmm. all the time is actually really yeah. Uh, yeah I think kind of in, in line with that I heard someone say uh, that one time they, this was someone who lived in a very privileged family with a father who was pretty absent. Like there, but not there. And was never really disciplined, kind of got whatever he wanted, got to do whatever he wanted. And he realized that he had a friend who wasn't that way, a friend who was not nearly as privileged, who had a father who was there but was strict, was disciplinarian, even disciplined his friend's friends. And that Privileged kid wanted to spend more time in their house than his own because he somehow felt more loved. <laughs> like there is something homey about like, um, I, I don't know, like that kind of love and discipline because it, it, it actually comes in closer, you know, than just like giving you things. Anyway, that was just a side note. Uh, great questions, great comments. I want to honor our time and I also got to switch gears and get into music here. But uh, I want to close with this. Um, okay, I'm, both these classes are running together for me. Did, did I talk about Lord of the Rings yet? I haven't mentioned that. Oh, that was in the other class. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've been rereading Lord of the Rings. And there's, uh, okay, so let me explain the whole story in these next three minutes. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, Basically, there's this ring they have to destroy, and the, the bad guy, they don't want the bad guy Sauron to get it, so all the big heroes meet at the Council of Elrond, 
And they're trying to decide what to do with the ring. They decide they need to destroy it. Who's going to take it? Nobody speaks up. And this tiny hobbit named Frodo stands up and says, I will take the ring to Mordor, though I do not know the way. And that is being yourself, okay? We want our students to be strong and courageous, but we also want them to be honest about their weaknesses. I will take the ring to Mordor. I'm strong and courageous. I can be brave, but I do not know the way. I'm honest. That's my weakness. I need help. That's, a, that's where we want our students. But here's what happens right after that. Elrond talks about how great Frodo is. Man, you're awesome. I'm glad you're going to take this ring because um, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't take it. But uh, anyway, he says, because I'm not going to take it. And then, um, but you will sit in the halls of heroes. Uh, but this is a heavy burden. And if you do not find a way, no one will. And right at this point, I'm going to read you what the book says. Then Sam, unable to contain himself any longer, and jumping up from the corner where he had been quietly sitting on the floor, cried, But you won't send him off alone, surely, Master? And Elrond says, Of course he's not going alone. You're going with him. He's like, Oh, crap. <laughs> should have said that. But <clears throat> that moment where Sam just jumps up, and he's like, He's my friend. You can't send him off alone. Man, that's, that's, oh, you look at that, and you go, That's what we want. We, we, we don't want our students to be alone, right? That's why we do ministry. It's like why we build this group. We call it youth group. We want it to be a group. We want it to be a community. We don't want our students to be alone. That's why the church exists. We want to go through life together. And so we spend all this time pouring into this youth ministry because we don't want our students to be alone. And yet, the ironic thing is, is that ministers can end up being some of the loneliest people on the planet. It's the way it happens. I don't know what to do with that. I have no answer for that. What I will say is this. I was thinking a lot about what Sandy said the other night when he started going through all the apostles and all the horrific ways that they died. Except for one. The Apostle John, who was the best friend of Jesus. He was Jesus' closest companion. And he died of old age in exile, in loneliness. I find that fascinating. All these other apostles literally got to go out in a blaze of glory. Like from a spiritual standpoint, they they were martyrs. They went out in a blaze of glory. They got to go be with Jesus sooner because of how hardcore they went and because of how hardcore they left the world. But John, Jesus' best friend, lived on an island by himself ministering in loneliness, perhaps the loneliest minister that ever lived. I don't know why, but I know that's part of ministry. Jesus' best friend went through that. But John also wrote the last book of the Bible, and at the end he has a vision of his Jesus standing before him saying, Behold, I am coming soon. And John says, come quickly. But we can also, I think, take comfort in the last words that John actually heard Jesus speak before he ascended into heaven. And that is, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I hope that is some comfort and some encouragement for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. Ministry is hard. It's hard because we, we need to be strategic. We need to pour.
pour ourselves in to these students. And, man, it, it's, it's so much work. There's so many things we have to think about, and we need your grace. We need you to walk with us. We need friends to walk with us. God, I pray that you would raise up friends so that we are not alone. But God, even in our loneliness, I pray that you would show us that you are with us always to the very end of the age, that you will not leave us and will forsake us, and that you are coming soon. And so we just look up, as John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.